This is her tweet. Jesus is igniting Jews. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure there's a good thought behind it, but that was... <laughs> could there be a poorer choice of verb? Joe, thank you for joining us. Um, welcome back to the podcast uh, that for a while only had one rating on iTunes, and it was a one-star rating, and I was so proud of that until uh, Jessica Thompson logged in and gave us a five-star rating to, to cancel it out. Our co-host this week coming back to us, Nasty Nate. Nate Claiborne, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. How about you? I am nervously awaiting uh, the uh, college football playoff. Big Alabama fan here. I know you're a Tennessee fan, so you're probably preparing for the uh, Nebraska game, right? Uh, something like that. Yeah, I don't really know what to expect with that. I feel like they are. Uh, I feel like they're kind of trolling us because we lost to Vanderbilt to end the season. So of course they're going to give us a bowl in Nashville, just as a <laughs> reminder of what could have been. It's a it's a magical time of the year for SEC because like. You know, uh, the simmering intersectional hatred dies down, and the vast majority of SEC fans just root for all the SEC teams so that we can feel superior to the rest of the the, uh, the country. Yeah, I mean, that's really, besides the Christmas spirit, that's really what it's all about this time of year. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, you know, that's only a half of it. The other half, and one of the reasons I had you back on the podcast Fellow Miami Dolphins, long-suffering fan you are. Suffering is the word, yeah. And an improbable, miraculous, logic-defying run to the playoffs this year for the Miami Dolphins. It's going to happen. It's going to happen, Nasty Nate. This is the year. This is the year that we lose in the wild-card playoffs <laughs> to a yet-to-be-determined division champion. What, ha- what happened? Like, I'm going to be honest. Like, First of all, I don't follow the Dolphins as closely as I follow college football. And I'm going to be honest, like when we were one in four, I sort of just washed my hands of, of the season. And I was like, okay, this is how it's going to be. All right. Yeah. And I, well, cause that's usually, we'll have one really impressive win within the first four or five games, but then we'll lose all the other ones. And then by the fifth game, you're like, okay, well, it's kind of what I was expecting. I don't know why I had my hopes up. And then all of a sudden we win like six or seven in a row. And then now we have a winning record. What is and, this draft? Yeah, well, who – yeah, Adam – and it's with a first-year coach too. I mean, we – although I'm, I'm looking back at the records now because I unfortunately don't have them memorized. But the last time we won more than ten games was 2008. And that was also with a first-year coach. Was that the year Pennington took us to the playoffs and we got killed in the first round? Yes, to the Ravens, who yes. are <laughs> the only team that has seemed to be able to dominate us this year, um, other than the Patriots, but we kind of expect that anyways. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Pennington couldn't throw the ball farther than 20. I mean, his, his arm was basically made out of wet toilet paper. So he, he did pretty well for a guy that like, couldn't throw the ball 20 yards. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, and I don't even know that season what it was. But we won the division, 
Pennington somehow made things work, and then we just settled into mediocrity for the next eight years. What are the theological, what are the theological issues that are associated with this? Has, have people in South Florida just sinned less, and now God's favor is on the Miami Dolphins? How does that work, Nate? Uh, it seems like that, that. I mean, that's always a possibility. They could have been more. I don't know, with everything that's happened in 2016, maybe they're just praying more and that sort of, you know, solidified, solidified things. I mean, depending on how much of a Calvinist you are, it could just be that, you know, before the foundation of the world, it was decreed that the Dolphins would do well this year. Just uh, as a, but that's no fun. I know, yeah. But I don't know what's, I mean, I haven't been keeping up with the news too much in South Florida, so I can't really think of anything notable. I mean, they did have that. Go ahead. They did have that uh, Marlins pitcher that died really tragically, so I don't know if this is like a, I don't kind of a way to balance that out, or probably not. I've, I've got a theory. Didn't they do like recently in South? You know, you're the South Florida guy. You tell me. Didn't they do like a massive, like in the last couple of months? Didn't they do like a massive Burmese python hunt down there? Uh, those are sporadic and ongoing. <laughs> I feel like that, maybe that's tied in somehow. Like if if they're if they're bringing the snake population down somehow, that God reacts with favor to that. I think so. I mean, that just it goes back to Genesis, <laughs> you know. And after all, answers in Genesis, right? You know, you're trying to figure out why the dolphins are good. Well, the answers Can in Genesis. Him. Yeah. Now they they always are doing some kind of snake hunt or something because what all those things you hear about people dumping pythons in the Everglades and then they get these monstrous sizes. I, I know they found one a couple weeks back, maybe a month or so back, and it had like three undigested deers in oh, its stomach. Geez. I saw a picture of that. I saw I, you're, you're, He's telling the truth. I saw a picture, and it was disgusting. Yes. So that's why, you know, South Florida's – I mean, Florida is America's Australia <laughs> in, in terms of like things that will kill you unexpectedly. Like we had a – we had a cobra loose down by Universal, the neighborhoods around Universal, I think earlier this year, maybe late last year. Like, some guy had a cobra as a pet, and it got loose. Was it Casey Haas? <laughs> no, it wasn't Casey. Although, I do have a, it's not really a story, but I teach her kids piano. Mm-hmm. And one time, there was a snake climbing up one of their bushes oh in the window while we're trying to do piano lessons. And so we had... A fifteen-minute break in the middle of lessons to go investigate the snake. Was it poisonous? I don't think so. No. Although we didn't, no one got bit to find out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if you're if you're a new listener, we're, we're talking about Casey Haas. She is a former and hopefully future co-host of, of the podcast as well. We did a we did an episode where we talked about inappropriate song titles of, of Christian songs. It was uh, a horribly inappropriate was... episode, and I don't, I don't recommend that anyone listens to it. But it's also a classic. Because <laughs> isn't, isn't that what classics are? Horribly inappropriate uh, books that no one's ever read but are on to read lists. Hey, I mean, you're, you're talking to the, uh, you know, the guy that had a one-star review. And that was the only review of the podcast for a while. Of course, I also, I also should mention that I'm the one who left the one-star review. Mm. I left a one-star review on my own podcast. It's clever marketing. 
I mean, because some, sometimes you find those one-star reviews on Amazon, and that's exactly what you needed to know in order to buy the product. <laughs> uh, you, you're making me think of the, uh, what's it called, the erotic baptism of John? Oh. Are you familiar with this? No. I'm looking it up now. It's a... Uh, um, it's an ebook. Okay, I'm looking at that. It's not. It's just called the erotic baptism, and the subtitle is "After he baptized Christ, she baptized him with her body." Oh, by oh, snap, Faith Angel. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that's probably not her real name, unless she's legally changed it, and then it could be. <laughs> And it, it has two one-star reviews on Amazon, and I wanted to buy it and review it on my on my blog, but my wife mm. got really upset. She was like, "You are not, you're not going to, you're not going to buy that." That's a rabbit hole you can't go down. <laughs> I, I guess there's no coming back after you get into like John the Baptist erotica. Yeah, I mean, it's just he's the forerunner, so. <laughs> I did. I read in what doomed me was I read an excerpt to my wife, and it included the phrase "love button." Oh, I didn't <laughs> think they had buttons back then. <laughs> I'm going to work on my wife. I'm going to see if I can, you know, I, I'm going to see if I can get her on board with this because I really feel like if there was a Christian blogger to review the erotic baptism, I mean, nasty Nate, would that not be myself? I, I can't think of anyone who is more up for the task. <laughs> I mean, I mean, who else could do? I mean, maybe Alan Noble, maybe, but he he'd just get all grumpy about it. And... He yeah, and what well, that and he'd have to tease out the sociocultural, political <laughs> ramifications of the existence of that kind of. Would would we call it fan fiction? I mean, it's, it's a, is it a pro John the Baptist kind of erotica? Yeah, I mean it. It takes itself uh, seriously, sort of like it, it's it's not meant to make fun of the scripture. It's supposed to be like read in conjunction with the scripture. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> Gives me much to ponder. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to read you a sentence from it. She felt, even without speaking to him, an incredible kindness emanating from him, and without explanation was suddenly brought to the verge of tears. Wow. I, too, have that effect on women sometimes. Just, you, you emanate kindness and... <laughs> they just immediately begin to weep. I mean, that's one way of explaining people crying around you. <laughs> just the kindness it emanates. I, I'll, I won't read the part where he talks about um, John the Baptist's love button. Oh, gosh. Yeah, some things you just can't unhear. <laughs> um, my wife just doesn't have the uh, the, rec- the, the required vision, the, the artistic vision to see what kind of what kind of experience that could be to read the erotic baptism. Well, maybe you need to paint a picture because if you <laughs> when there's a lack of vision. Maybe you need a flannel graph presentation about why this is a good idea. Hey, points to you for bringing, bringing that reference up. Can we say that that's, that's what's wrong with today's church and why millennials are leaving a church in, uh, in quote-unquote droves? 
Is it we're just not doing the flannel graphs anymore? I mean, that's I, I might like to explore that. I I probably have the budget at school to go ahead and get a nice flannel graph set up for Bible class. Uh-huh. So I could just start running some sociological experiments and just see, you know, I teach the Old Testament. Why don't I just go ahead and, like, whip out the flannel graphs? <laughs> I mean, anyone can put a PowerPoint together. But this is true. can you masterfully tell the story of Samson using a flannel graph? That sounds like, that sounds like a 5,000-word think piece. That would get published on. I think TGC would publish that. That probably something that would wind up on TGC. Yeah, I mean, I immediately think either TGC or the Babylon Bee. Like <laughs> it, it could really go either way. <laughs> well, you know, we we do need a few more long-winded think pieces about why millennials are leaving the church in droves. It's true. It, it's probably. Just, I mean, at the end of the day, they're probably leaving the church in droves because the people who could do something about it are too busy writing think pieces. <laughs> it's one of those ironic twists. Well, I, I blame Bill Gaither, uh, as, as I do for all things I don't understand. I just mm. I just put it at, at his feet as the, the dark shadow lord of Christianity. He is he is like the Emperor Palpatine of the is it the Repu- is it the Republic. I don't want to betray Star Wars ignorance in public, but <laughs> we'll, we'll rescue you and go ahead and move on to the next, the next topic. Uh, one of the things I've been doing, uh, actually, Nate's been kind of keeping an eye on this for me and, and helping to keep me sane and pulling me back when I get too deep. Um, we are making a list of the worst tweets from Christian Twitter. Now, if you know what Christian Twitter is, is this this smorgasbord of Christian authors, pastors, you know, Twitter theologians. It's sort of like its own sub-community on Twitter. It's its fascinating and frequently terrifying. But we're trying to pull out the worst tweets from 2016. Um, and we were talking about this before we went on. Nate, I think I've, I, I bit off more than I can chew with this. Yeah, it, so- it sounded like you've... Uh in too deep <laughs> there's just so much to pick from you don't want to fall prey to recency bias but this is true. you know it's always a temptation this is true I, I, when i get too deep i'm just going to need you to send me a like a succession of mid-90s christian rock videos to kind of like wake me up and pull me back mm. yeah we can do that i think with the magic of youtube <laughs> can make it happen just send me some Newsboys, PFR, Sixpence, and the Richer. Just, just keep sending those to me until I start making sense again. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna have to bookmark those. <laughs> it's um, we're we're talking about it on podcast. I'm also gonna put it up on my my blog, MatthewEPierce.com. Um, probably coming up in the next couple of days. Nate, this is quite the endeavor. Um, and, and sort of as like a a good example of where like a a worse tweet. We're thinking like goofy. We're not talking like, we're not being hateful or anything. We're just thinking like goofy Christian tweets. And probably one of the best examples is uh, John Piper's infamous tweet. <laughs> do, do you exercise like a non-believer? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember seeing that and I remember there being an article attached and that's all I really remember because I couldn't even. I 
I can usually give John Piper the benefit of the doubt on most things. Um, but yeah, I, I just, it was a little too much. Could that also be why the millennials are leaving the church in droves? They're exercising like non-believers, Nate. Um, yeah, it could be. I mean, it's def. I mean, maybe if we think about it, maybe that was the Dolphins' problem until this year. <laughs> is their off-season workouts were very full of unbelief. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna read you one of the other tweets on the list here, and you just give okay. me your, your base reaction to it. This is from Patricia King. Uh, if you know Patricia King, there's no introduction needed. She's she's kind of out there. She's on the, the charismatic side, but not like I would say the good charismatic. She's like way like out there and um, on the fringes. Mm. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is her tweet. Jesus is igniting Jews. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure there's a good thought behind it, but that was, could there be a poorer choice of verb? (laughs) You know, sometimes you just need to run that tweet, you know, pass an editor. Just let's just let another set of eyes look at it first before you hit, Mm -hmm. before you hit publish. Well, I mean, we, we could just say this, a tweet like that is symptomatic of how we use a lot of metaphorical language especially in Christian culture. Mm-hmm. And we don't really stop and think sometimes about what the words would mean in a non-metaphorical sense. I mean, we use a lot of, and I don't want, I don't want to pick on TGC, but the, the gospel coalition, the uh, alliance of confessing evangelicals, we use all this like warfare language. <laughs> and if you're not careful, it makes it sound like you're out to, I don't know, shoot down your opponent's. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, you'll even use that. I'll shoot down that argument. Like, well, like you literally, if you shoot something down, you kill it. Generally speaking, <laughs> it's 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 what makes Christian Twitter so so fascinating and frustrating because it's it, it's people who probably agree with each other on almost all the important tenets of Christianity, mm-hmm. losing their minds over minute things that really don't make a difference like really just are not important and people just get so upset about it okay. yeah i think it, well maybe there's there's all kinds of cultural implications we could get into if we really want to engage the culture which i mean there's another one right there right <laughs> what are you what are you doing when you're engaging the culture like you engage an enemy in battle uh-huh. so are you battling with the culture when you engage it like what do you well, I don't even think it's engaging in culture. I think a lot of what happens on Christian Twitter is just virtue signaling. Mm. Like nobody, yeah, that's a good point. Like nobody's on Christian Twitter to reach the lost or do any kind of meaningful outreach. A lot of it is just, hey, look at me sounding holy. Yeah. Or look at me being outraged about this thing. <laughs> yes. Case and in- that <laughs> that makes me more holy. Case in point. You probably saw the, uh, the John Acuff tweet from last week. Um, he got it in just in time to make the list. Uh, oh yeah. I'm going to read it. It says shout out to churches canceling services this Sunday. We pastors kids often leave faith because the church stole our Christmas every year. 
Actually, I I almost didn't put it on the plate. I don't really think that's necessarily like a bad tweet in and of itself. It's just it's just a thought, but it's it's so perfect of what happens on Christian Twitter because you take this issue like I mean, there's no reason to get bent out of shape about John Acuff saying that. Like, if you disagree with it, just just move on. Like, he's not mm-hmm. telling everybody to cancel every church everywhere. Just, just you know, go find something else to do. But it turned into like this morass of depravity in the replies where it, it was, it, I think there were like over 600 replies last time I checked of just people bickering back and forth about, um, you know, the theological implications of the church. If we don't have a Sunday morning service, like why will, why it's a great thing, why it's the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, guys, what, what, why is this so important? Like, just move, move along. Like, it's not, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Well, and you can even tell, like, just from the way the tweet is kind of worded, it has some logical difficulties, and so it makes it seem like something he didn't really even put a bunch of thought into. Just sort of like, almost like he's kind of poking fun at the fact that like everyone's already so up in arms about whether or not to have church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then everyone that was already up in arms kind of turned their attention to his tweet. Mm-hmm. And then it just spirals from there. But then, you know, we're talking about this, what, three, three, four days after Christmas. It already feels like old <laughs> news, but it was only like a week and a half ago. But everyone's already moved on to something you know later and greater and more offensive, which I actually, I saw one. I didn't, I saw one just a little bit ago that you could probably throw in here, but I don't think there's been any, don't think there's been any reactions yet. Um, so Jonathan Merritt was, <laughs> is, uh, I don't know if you saw this. He's at, as we're recording this, he is at Walt Disney world. Okay. So literally in my backyard, I mean, not literally cause I don't live, but you know, in my neck of the woods. Uh, and he said, he's at, at Walt Disney world with my nephews and nieces today thought, oh. Grown adults who come here alone scare me more than terrorists. <laughs> so now I could take a lot of offense to this tweet because I am a grown adult who has gone to Walt Disney World by myself. <laughs> I'm usually, if I do that though, I'm usually catching Pokemon, and that maybe that's a whole different, um, a whole different issue. But, I mean, this is kind of a pretty stark comparison to <laughs> random adults at Disney by themselves are scarier than terrorists. It's, it's Twitter, though. Like, you can't you, – there's no room for tone. Mm-hmm. Like, you never know like, if somebody's, you know, just baseline serious, if someone's being sarcastic, if they're trolling, if, if they're trying to make – you know, you, you never know. There's just these isolated little bubbles of speech that are disconnected from any context. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, he, I, I kind of see him like saying that with like a wink, wink, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not totally serious, but you know, it's the way the people already kind of are reactive to him for one reason or another. So I'm sure if enough people are paying attention, they'll flip out about that and then they'll see some kind of like racial overtones <laughs> Yes. Um, nice. Some sort of like bias against single people. 
I guess I, I probably should have stopped already in this podcast and said, listen, if you think I'm coming at this from some high-minded position where all I do is like tweet Bible verses and like really solid biblical thoughts, you, you've never seen my Twitter account. Like that, that disclaimer needs to happen. Like if you ever see me on Twitter, all I do is like go the opposite direction. I just tweet jokes about, uh, you know, do angels have wieners? And Song of Solomon jokes and jokes about the Garden of Eden and how many times Adam and Eve had sex. Like, yeah, I mean, there's there's a very consistent theme there, but, you know, <laughs> the theme of deep biblical research, obviously. Hey, let's not pretend like I didn't do, like, an entire think piece about how many times Adam and Eve had sex. Yeah, I, I always, I probably inappropriately, so, um, will occasionally joke with students that, uh, the story of Adam, Adam and Eve is the first time in recorded history and probably the only time in recorded history that two people got in trouble because they weren't off having sex. <laughs> I mean, it was, pretty, it was pretty clear. You guys need to go have sex, make babies, and they're like, well, what about this tree over here? Like, what kind of fruit is this? Like, let's explore. And God's just kind of like, are you serious? Like, Maybe they didn't know. Maybe they didn't know how to have sex. Maybe, and they didn't want they didn't want to ask because they're embarrassed. I mean, what animals do you think they were looking at to get their pointers? See, I don't know. That's a, and that's a I mean that's a deep scientific question as far as what types of flora and fauna were in the Garden of Eden. Okay, if you if you I'm I'm going back to my think piece from I don't know how this many months ago. I did a detailed scientific analysis, and I came up with a number of 40,564 times Adam and Eve had sex. Oh, based on age and everything? Based on age, based on, um, like, pregnancy dry spells. Um, you know, did, did, some, did some math about, you know, what would happen, you know, like, how much we could subtract, because one of them obviously died before the other one did, probably. Mm. Not just for Adam and Eve, like for all of the all of the couples that we didn't know who died first. Yeah, you had to do some some math there, and then you know you had to wait it like in the beginning because they didn't know what they were doing, so it was probably really slow and awkward in the beginning. Mm. And then with time, yeah, they got better, and you know, as, as we all do. See, I've I've always been curious about. Uh, so if we take the numbers at face value in Genesis 5, like how long Adam lived, how many kids do we think he actually had? That was a tough one. Um, you know, because only, only the important ones get mentioned. But, I mean, if we go, if we fast forward in the Genesis narrative for a little while, you've got Jacob who seems to be, you know, father and kids left and right, but he didn't actually live that, that long. I, my scientific, my scientific guess was I, I, I went with a, uh, a model of them having 24 children. Okay. But anything was in play. I mean, really. 24 is like a good average. Yeah. We don't know how much fertility rates, like how, how many years are we talking about for, I mean, for Adam potentially all the way until he died, but we don't know, like was, you know menopause what has that factor in was that still at the same age it is now was it like several hundred years later honestly the toughest one to calculate was solomon 
Yeah. Because sort of like prevailing, like thought, just like off the top of your head, you'd think, well, Solomon, you Solomon had sex the most times, but he really didn't. And it wasn't even close because his, his sex window was like 40 years. Like that was his reign. That was when he had access to the, uh, all of the wives and concubines, which 40 years is really not that big of a window when you're talking about, you know, Adam, Adam and Eve living upwards of eight, 900 years. Yeah. Well, and then the other, the other thing too, is that a lot of his wives were for political alliances, mm-hmm. which in a lot of cases would mean they didn't actually come live in his palace. They still lived wherever it was they were from, but they're in this kind of marriage alliance with Solomon. So now he mm-hmm. can't attack that country or, or whatever. So they're kind of, they're not on his list of available spouses, so mm-hmm. to speak. Yeah. I, I settled on the idea that probably the, the people who had sex the most times in the Bible were Seth and Anna because they still, they lived really long, but they also had the benefit of getting the talk from Adam and Eve. Mm. See, nobody was there to give Adam and Eve the talk, but you know, Adam could talk to Seth and tell him how to do it. And so they're, they're jumping in, you know, ready to go from the beginning. There, there's no, you know, sitting around studying the, the elephants. To see how the elephants True. are doing it. Which, you probably shouldn't pick the elephants. Yeah. No. Definitely not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nate, we've, we've... How many topics have we covered on this podcast that we didn't, we didn't plan on covering? This went to some very... It went, went to some yeah. very important places. It was a... To, to borrow a, a metaphor... Uh, not a metaphor, a saying. It was a free-flowing conversation that may or may not have touched on adult topics. <laughs> was that the bumper from the uh, old BS Report podcast? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Should we... <laughs> Which I guess you could reappropriate if you wanted to, since that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> should, we, should we close with a faith-based movie? Oh, definitely. What, definitely. Uh, what, what faith-based movie are, are you interested in talking about? We could do. Um, we could do the my idea for uh, one with Mark Wahlberg called Woke, where he um, uh, atheist scientists are are making Christians sin in their dreams. So he's got to convince everyone to stay awake until he, uh, they can stop the atheist scientists. Uh, or the one that I came up with last night. Um, I don't have a name for it. Maybe you could help me with that. But okay, uh, a faith-based film idea where a group of rogue missionaries deactivate the international dateline so that they can postpone Jesus' return. Because I guess I don't know. Like they're in a plane, and if there's no dateline, they just keep circling the globe and they never age. Mm. Somehow they figured out how to do that would stop Jesus from coming back, and then. Keanu Reeves has to go try to stop them, and he may or may not be an angel. Okay. I feel like it's called Save the Date. <laughs> that just, I don't know, it just feels right. Could the, uh, the rogue missionaries, they could have like some, they could have like some good motives, though. They could be like, you know, we're going to, if they could, like, we, we found a way to postpone Jesus' return so that we can continue to preach the gospel. So obviously they're not reformed. They're obviously Arminian missionaries. They believe in free will, that they can, you know, they can, they can 
to get more people to heaven. Yeah. And then you could, you could call it, uh, if you want to play on theology, you could call it unlimited postponement. (laughs) (laughs) See, I like, I like that one, but I don't know how many people would, I don't know how many people, I mean, I don't think pure flicks is going to produce this anyway. So I don't know. It's probably moot point. Yeah. I mean, you never know until you've really sent a full pitch along. Um, (laughs) Or what's that company? We just saw, we just watched risen the other day, Um, which for a faith-based movie, was actually pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't remember what their production company is, but I feel like they might be interested in something like that. I, uh, I pitched pure flicks, a bunch of ideas a few weeks ago and they, Sadly, they didn't. They didn't. Um, they didn't respond to any of them. Well, I mean, they may, they might not have gotten them, so you may need to keep resending them until they give a <laughs> a response or a, a cease and desist or something. Uh, here's one of mine that I sent to Pureflix. Pureflix pitch: The Nephilim are back, and only disgraced ex-televangelist Nick Cage can save a seminary for the deaf in Hear No Evil. Oh yes. That's a winner right there. Pitch. Baptist pastor Joel Smallbone must save his church from foreclosure by winning underground dance contests in Out of the Pew. Mm. Yeah, dance movies are pretty big, so I don't know why they wouldn't have wanted to go with that. I like the idea of like a, like a Baptist pastor who's got to like surreptitiously enter dance contests and win them to save his church from for, being foreclosed on. Yeah, the uh, the alternate version of that might be a Baptist pastor who has to convert the church into a Trappist monastery to avoid being foreclosed on, and it's called <laughs> Hebrews. <laughs> <laughs> of course, these are all variations of one of the greatest faith-based movie plots of all time, which is Nacho Libre. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Which really should get credit as faith-based film. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's literally about a con like orphans and nuns and convents and Mexican wrestling <laughs> and forced baptisms. Oh yeah, uh, I don't remember. I don't remember what his partner's name was, but when he dunks his partner's head in the bowl of water just so that he can rest assured that he's been baptized. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what is that guy's name? I think the fact that I don't immediately know off the top of my head means that it's time to rewatch it. <laughs> um, all right. On that note, he is Nasty Nate Claiborne. You can find him all over the place. Uh, contributes to Gospel Coalition, uh, Christ and Pop Culture. He has his own site, which is NathanielClaiborne.com. Uh, he was also one of the few people who accepted a review copy of Homeschool Sex Machine the first time that I emailed him. So he will, I will always defend his honor on these interwebs. I knew that would pay off someday. <laughs> Nate, thanks for being on Fun Sex Bible Time. You got it. Looking forward to next time. Yeah, it's not the path I set out on. But. 
I don't know who I need to see about that, but right. This is not. This this was not a, a planned development. <laughs>